The best carbon removal system we have out there right now, commercially available, meaning the farthest along is probably Climeworks. They're pulling down 4,000 tons a year right now. We need to be pulling down 2 to 10 billion tons a year by 2030, according to the UN. It's way off mark. <laughs> We're a few orders of magnitude behind. Yeah. The Rational View is a weekly series hosted by me, Dr. Alan Scott, providing a rational, evidence-based perspective on important societal issues. Produced by Soapbox Media. The world needs evidence-based public policy now more than ever. Making the right decisions should not be partisan politics. Please help spread the rational view by going to patron.podbean.com slash the rational view. Together, we can make a better future. Hello, and welcome to another episode of The Rational View. In this episode, I'm interviewing an entrepreneur who is trying to play a big part in slowing the acceleration of climate change. She is co-founder of an XPRIZE team trying to capture CO2 from the air. Long story short, their technology claims to be able to remove massive amounts of carbon from the atmosphere and convert it into hydrogen, biochar, and other environmentally friendly solutions. If you're listening to me for the first time, or if you're a longtime listener, please hit like on your podcast app. I'd love to hear from you. It helps spread the word on The Rational View. And come join us on my Facebook group, The Rational View. Our guest today is Beth McDaniel, co-founder and president of the award-winning paint and coatings company, Reactive Surfaces, where she also serves as legal counsel. She's also a partner in McDaniel & Associates, a law firm specializing in patent and trade secret law. As a serial entrepreneur, she has guided this bleeding-edge innovation company operating in the paint and coatings and specialty chemicals industries for the past 15 years. She has served in leadership roles for numerous organizations, including serving as a Pathways to Peace Fellow, a premier social justice organization. Her work in the area of human rights and social justice brings a level of experience and intention to ensure that any climate solution has at its heart environmental justice and enhancement of human rights and personal livelihood. She brings the same dedication to her family, including her two children and grandchildren. Beth, welcome to The Rational View. Hi, Al. Thanks for having me. It's good to be here. Well, thank you for taking the time to chat with us. Uh you have a very exciting and interesting background here. Could you tell us a little bit about yourself? You seem to be involved in a lot of really cool projects from human rights to social justice to climate change mitigation. How, how did you come to be in all of these different ideas? Yes. Um, you know, just through time, like, you know, once you get to be in your fifties, you've just done a lot. Okay. Um, so yeah. Um, but they were very important parts of my past that I wanted to highlight because they've definitely come together um, in this pursuit now for a carbon removal technology that could really be effective. Um, but yeah, I went to uh, University of Texas for, for college and studied finance. My, my family was in, always in business. My dad was also a chemist um, and he was very sciencey in the, in the petrochemical um, area of Houston. And um, none of his kids were scientists and <laughs> to his chagrin. And uh, but he did study business and he always had businesses on the side, one of which happened to be a paint company that they bought um, that sent me through law I mean, sent me through college. 
and I ended up in the paint business. So you never know, you know, paint was never anything that we were really involved in, but, um, but for a minute in time and, um, but it might have been, you know, some sort of premonition for my future. I don't know. Uh, then I went to um, law school and uh, and studied just to be a business lawyer. And after that, I started. Um, we have some entrepreneurs in our family, and my brother is a serial entrepreneur. And um, he had, and especially in real estate at the time. And so he called me up and he said, "Beth, I've got." I had just gotten licensed like a month before for my, uh, for my, with my law license. And, and he said, I've got a, um, I've got a little real estate deal. I put up a few thousand dollars down, tied up like 300 acres of land and, um, in on Lake Travis in Austin. And I was like, wow, for five grand. And sure enough, he had, he goes, yeah, I got, he goes, I got a few meetings that we got to do with the city. Maybe you can come help me out with that for a few weeks. Well, eight years later, we got done with that project. <laughs> so we were a little off on the three weeks. <laughs> But um, it taught me a lot about uh, about land development. So I got a, a, a strong background in in, um, in uh, real estate and land development. And then I ended up working just in the law and doing my own business and, and as a general counsel kind of for businesses, which I highly recommend. It's actually kind of a good way to do law. You don't have to be in the courtroom. You can just kind of do business. Uh, bring parties together, and so that's kind of where I fall on the on the law side in everything that I've done. Um, and um, yeah, my pathways to peace involvement came that, as a side thing. I've always um, enjoyed human rights, and um, that it was an, a, a premier organization. This was a, a anti genocide and genocide prevention organization, and so we were. We were um, our our job was to build political will in our communities to prevent and end genocide. We did that through a variety of things like, um, you know, everything from education, a lot of lobbying. Um, you know, I, there's nothing I like more than to stick it to the man and um, and tell him, you know, how how we feel about things. And so and I've taught that along the way. Also, I've taught in a lot of schools and presented and stuff like that. So that was kind of where I fell in that. Um, and during that time, uh, in that venture and yeah, I married a scientist. Uh, he's an inventor. He's a crazy science guy. Uh, Steve McDaniel, he's, um, he's a lawyer, a patent lawyer as well. And, uh, we started a company when I met him, he was starting this company and where the company was the merger of two, uh, scientific disciplines, uh, biotechnology and material science, which and the material science was paint, and then we're in the paint business. Um, and it came about in kind of a strange way. We can talk about it or not. But basically, that had not really been done in the paint and coatings industry before because, in generally, the idea is to keep biologicals out of your paint because they cause degra degradation. And so um, we kind of turned that notion on its head, and we started putting functional biomolecules into paints and coatings to derive some sort of functionality so that the paint or the coating would respond to its environment in some way that we wanted it to. And so that's that was the genesis of that company. And then we ended up coming up with a climate change solution that's based in paint as well. Okay. So you have developed a special paint that can remove carbon directly from the air. Could you give us a little background on how that works? Yeah. So like I said before, what are um, just big context, um, just to give you the con your listeners the context of what we're talking about, um, because no one really ever thinks about paints and coatings very much. 
Um, in fact, you just kind of take it for granted. I always say it's the biggest industry that no one's really ever thought about. Um, but it's ubiquitous. Okay. And everything, like if you look around you right now, um, paint, uh, everything that's man-made and it's sometime in its manufacturing process has a coating on it, usually to protect it. Other coatings are for aesthetics. The coatings on your walls will give it color or whatever, but everything that's man-made has a coating on it. So the walls behind you, but the windows and your computer screen and your shirt and your eyeglasses and everything that you see around you pretty much has a coating. Well, that's a lot of surface area. And when you think about functionalizing surface area to work for you, that, that's one of the benefits that we have with paint. Paint is lightweight. It adheres well to surfaces. You can use it vertically. And so we can take advantage of a lot of surface area to add this functionality. And using biologicals, there's other functional paints in the paint and coatings industry, okay? I mean, Sherwin-Williams has an antimicrobial paint, but usually these are using heavy metals or something else that might be questioned for its, you know, toxicity or environmental, uh, you know, um, an effect. And so by using naturally occurring non-toxic biomolecules, you avoid that problem of it, okay? Uh, that problem with functional coatings. So what we've used up until now is biomolecules, things like enzymes and peptides. Uh, for instance, an enzyme that we know of that's functional in nature, that's doing this all the time, all over us, is called a lipase, and it's um, breaking down greases, fats, and oils in nature. So that's not our art. Our art is to take that and embody that into a coding system and ask it to do what it does in nature, but in that coding system. And so, therefore, when you spread it on a surface, then you've got a self-cleaning surface that's going to, as long as the coating system is there. See, we can stabilize that enzyme, which is kind of, again, that was what we did that was kind of turn things on its head, is we can stabilize that enzyme and it will continue being enzymatic in, within the coating as long as the coating is there. And so, it's going to continue breaking down greases, fats, and oils. If you cooked with a, your countertop was coated with that coating and you cooked, um, you know, fried chicken or, or you stir fried vegetables or whatever, and you left that mess until the morning, what you would find is it would be broken down into its component parts and you could wipe it away with just a, a wet cloth. Okay. It's no longer wow. boiling. Okay. Uh, and so we have different platform technologies in which we've used these biomolecules to derive some sort of functionality. That's one of them. Another one is, is a whole library of peptides that have all sorts of antimicrobial effects. And we found it also during COVID, we did some uh, upper le high level testing on those for antiviral activity. And they are also antiviral and with regard to enveloped um, viruses like COVID. And so there's good a uses in hospitals and such things. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, and so there's a lot of different industries that could, you know, pick off this um, technology and, and applications and stuff. We don't really dictate that. Usually we deal kind of with paint companies that need to have some sort of functionality in their coding system. And we help them in, innovate that um, during. But then when we um, were hit with the urgency in the news, like in about 2018 of uh, in fact, I know it's October of 2018 was when one of the UN's reports came out that was especially grim about yeah, the, the IPCC report. Mm -hmm. One of them, but that was one of the first ones that really grabbed everyone's attention. And mm -hmm. I mean, my husband was practically comatose after he read it and I'm not laughing about it. It was scary. You know, it, it was the first mm -hmm. time that we got really, really scared about climate change. 
And after about a week, he kind of emerged and said, you know, I've been thinking about something, about innovation for quite some time, and I think we need to direct our resources towards that. And that is not putting a uh, biomolecule into a paint or coating, but instead putting a live organism, a single cell bacteria, um, which is cyanobacteria or al- um, blue-green algae, um, into a coating system and asking that to do what it does in nature, which is photosynthesized, course, pulling down CO2 in that process and releasing, yeah, with the help of sunlight and water, releasing oxygen and glucose. And so that's where we went with it. And so now we, over the last five years, we've developed a paint that that effectively and efficiently pulls down CO2. So this this paint, does it just come in a normal paint jar? You can slap it onto your, onto your window, onto your walls and coat your house with this if you wanted to? Okay, good question. And it's always the first question that people ask. And so, um, and that is, um, we will get there probably, but it's not the highest and best use right now um, to use it in that way. And I'll tell you why. Um, Because first of all, algae naturally grows in certain areas in certain environments, okay? When we can control that environment, then we can get a lot more algae growth. And the more growth, the more photosynthesis is taking place. So, Paint on the outside of a wall is, is is a different animal, kind of. And so what we wanted to do is we wanted to, to develop a system um, of modules where they would be densely packed with painted sheets that we would get a whole bunch of surface area within each module to do as much work of photosynthesis as possible. And then we just have a filler system. You can stack them up. You can lay them out flat. Um, so that's the system that we've developed so far that we really want to go through because we think it'll be a lot more effective. So it's like a dedicated facility uh, of of surf of algae covered surfaces, effectively. Yeah, it's cool looking. It's like living walls. So you're actually using artificial surfaces, and painting algae paint on it, and having them turn blue green. <laughs> Right. And the, and the paint itself is all non-toxic. So we use things in our paint that, uh, well, where algae like to live. And um, the, um, I mean, these are things that you'd find in the grocery store that you probably, you might have eaten this morning with your breakfast. Okay. And so they are, um, it's, it's totally non-toxic. And uh, we do that, obviously, for a reason, because whatever, whatever solutions we come up with, we don't want to cause a lot of damage in doing so. And so that is, uh, yeah, that's the nature of it. In terms of, of, of what this does, these, these algae photosynthesize. So you expose them, you, you put them on these sheets, they're exposed to sunlight, they grow, they suck in carbon dioxide from the air. Um, so I could see this happening, but now you're going to end up with sheets and sheets of, of, of algae and eventually they're going to be saturated or, or they, you know, they're going to be, they're going to stop being useful for re- removing carbon dioxide. So, what do you, what do you how do you sequester the carbon or, or keep it from these when these things die? Presumably, they will rot and release the CO two back into the atmosphere. So, what do you do? Yeah. So, what I've described thus far is just kind of the capture side of it, rather than the the permanent sequestration. So, um, yeah. So, we are we have a cradle to grave system. And um, if you go on our um, on our website, you can see this video and it, it shows you how that goes. But anyway, there's once the 
the algae. So we're monitoring this each each unit, each module all the time. Okay, we're just building our first field units. Okay, so this is this is where we have. We've been doing this in the lab for years. Okay, so we'll monitor a module and we can see exactly molecule by molecule how much CO2 has gone down, what the oxygen level is. I mean, we can monitor a lot of different things about that environment. And um, and so we know the rate of photosynthesis and how uh, when is the best time to harvest. And so there is a harvesting procedure that takes place. And that harvesting is done via a chemical reaction um, we use it, what's called a chelator, uh, and subject the algal biomass. That's, so the algal biomass has grown up in the paint. So you have a green biomass coating system. And we say, I'm using coating system loosely in the way it's not, it doesn't look like the paint that you would put on your wall. Okay, it looks different. It's more of jelly kind of looking, but it, but it dries and it, it does coatings do. And once this is subjected to this chelator, all the components fall apart. It's, it's designed to do this. We, we designed it so that it would fall apart when we asked it to into its component parts. So you'd have the, the paint, the water, and the algal biomass, which contains the CO2. And so the paint and the water are then used to recycle into the next um, phase and do it again as much as we can. We take the algal biomass and that's what's gonna be used. To, we're gonna sequester that. It can be sequestered in a variety of ways. A lot of people talk about pumping that kind of stuff down, injecting it deep into the ground, like one or two miles down in the ground. We don't need to do that. Uh, what we plan to do is uh, more on the biochar level. And so are you familiar with biochar, Al? Not really. Um, I understand the idea. You're burning it and you're making soot, basically. Yeah, or like charcoal briquettes. It's burning without oxygen. It kind of fuels itself. The system fuels itself because it also creates um, bio oil and syn gas in the system. And then it biochars as well. And so, um, and, and it's an, a known form of sequestration. And then it's also a valuable byproduct um, that can be used as a soil amendment to help soils, um, like you spread it on soils and it helps them absorb water. So it makes for even better car carbon sinks. It's very circular, you know, we like the idea of that. Um, and yeah, so that's the grave part of it. That's the carbon removal sequestration end. I looked at, um, there's a paper that was referenced on your website on, on the work and you, you're one of the co-authors of the paper, congratulations. Thank um, you. Showing capture efficiency projections of a large facility using your your paint to capture carbon dioxide and there the numbers range from a, a maybe a 22 percent to a a best case of about 49 percent efficiency in terms of the carbon capture efficiency of of the of the system now this is much better than numbers i've seen for for more energy intensive direct air capture just using fans and physical processes to try to separate CO2 you know, from air, you know, because it's you know 400 parts per million. There's not a lot of it. You need to pump a lot of air through to to get this out. How does how does this system compare to other options for removing carbon dioxide in terms of you know state of the art? I, I recently, just yesterday, I think I saw an article on an Elon Musk funded idea that captures CO2 chemically from, from the ocean where it's more concentrated and so it has doesn't have to flow so much air through the, you know, it just flows a little bit of water through it and gets the CO2 that way. Uh, so can you just 
talk about how this compares to other options? Yeah, sure. Um, so there's a ocean embodiment for this technology too. That we that's actually how we plan to scale up to a gigaton level, and it's really important the ability to scale up, as you probably know. Um, if we can't get to gigaton, billion ton, then we're not doing enough for the problem. We're just kind of spinning our wheels. Um, but yeah, we have an ocean embodiment planned. It hasn't been. We've been testing it, you know, but we haven't laid it out completely, and we don't have a field unit on that. Um, but as far as the competition in carbon removal, um, there's some, there's some really good innovation out there. Most of it though, if you're comparing it, you have to compare different things. Each one of them has a boundary drawn around it for its life cycle analysis and its techno economic analysis. Okay. So it's based on one scenario that scenario, for instance, might or might not include the grave part of the cradle to grave. Okay. Some of them just include the capture part. So you just kind of have to take it with a grain of salt and really look when you're comparing Make sure you're comparing apples to apples. Um, but uh, like uh, the biggest problem with all of, or I say problem, but the biggest issue or challenge with all of these technologies is the energy and where you're going to get the energy. Um, so for instance, um, Climeworks, who is probably the farthest along on their technology for carbon removal, um, they're based in Iceland and they use geothermal heat from a, um, uh, from a geyser. So they're, they're next to a geyser. So they're getting free waste heat is the deal. We can use free waste heat too in our situation. And what that does is allows us to stack modules up. Okay. So we, our system just becomes a lot denser and a lot more efficient than, but the paper that you referenced, which is a peer reviewed, uh, in a, in the peer reviewed journal of CO2, uh, utilization, um, the, the system boundaries of that was just a solar only system, um, which is what what's required for Elon Musk's X Prize. We're Team Lycan at Elon Musk's uh, $100, $100 million um, carbon removal X Prize. And so that system boundary for that paper was just a solar embodiment. But we could also use ours, for instance, to capture point source emissions from an industrial emitter that we can we could pump that in and like you recognized, you know, 415 or 420 parts per million is hard to cat, capture, capture direct air. But if you're pumping it in and I'll tell you what algae really love is CO2. I mean, then our system just starts really moving faster. So it's, it's a great thing to pump it in, you know? And so we, we also have that commercial embodiment as well planned. I see. And um, so you've, you've made this environment for the cyanobacteria to live in that they like. You've, you've had, you've had some water and, and I, I don't know, you actually put the cells into the paint, I guess. And we do a lot of stuff with paint to make it amenable to that. Yeah. So we work with paint, we modify the paint as well. And it's durable. Does it, does it hold up? Like, will it? Will it run down the wall or is it going to stay on? Nope. And that's what I meant by saying it doesn't look like your average paint, but it has the same characteristics that paint need to be in order to be paint. They have to adhere well. They have to stay, you know, go on vertical surfaces. So, yes, you could put it on the top of a hundred story building. It's not going to just fall off. It's it's got the qualities of paint. As long as you don't mind it being blue green. <laughs> so. Uh, now I know you're not a scientist. You're 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 the you know the 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 legal representation for this company. But I just want to 
ask a question. You mentioned that the paint itself is non-toxic and you've been working on non-toxic ingredients, but isn't cyanobacteria kind of bad stuff for, for toxicity? Oh, I wouldn't eat it. Well, no, probably <laughs> do eat it. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I, okay. Again, you're kind of asking the wrong person, but yeah. I mean, if algae is growing up in algal blooms or something like that, then yes, it can be, you know, there can be some toxic toxicity to that. Um, what paint does in this situation is it holds on to the algae. It doesn't let the algae overgrow into a bloom. Okay. And so it, in fact, it's interesting Al. um, this paint was, we copy nature all the time, you know, we're little copycats. Okay. So when Steve, my husband came up with this idea, it was based on, uh, another organism in nature called a lichen. Um, that's why it's called team lichen. And, you know, you've all seen lichen when you've gone hiking or whatever, you know, it's, um, it's colorful, all different colors. You can barely scrape it off a rock and it adheres well. Um, and when he was doing a scientific mission in the Arctic one time, he saw this big red spot on a rock and he was like, that must be a, um, you know, geo marker or something like that. And when he got closer to it, he realized it was algae and, um, out, um, I mean, he realized it was lichen. Lichen is composed of two things, an algae and a fungus. Um, the algae do what algae do. They photosynthesize. The fungus um, controls the algae from overgrowing and provides it the necessary things um, to live. In fact, some, some lichen are like a thousand years old, um, but it controls like gas exchange and, and, you know, it allows sunlight in that it needs, but not too much UV that would dry it out. And so all of this stuff that, it, that, the, light, that the fungus does for the algae our paint is like the fungus, and it's doing that for the algae. Interesting. So um, you've come up with this idea. You're you're rolling it out to the prototype stage now. Are are you still in the running for the X Prize? How's how's the competition looking? I haven't checked lately. Um, keep in mind the best um, the best carbon removal system we have out there right now, commercially available. Meaning the farthest along is probably Climeworks. They're pulling down four thousand tons a year right now. Uh, we need to be pulling down two to 10 billion tons a year by 2030, according to the UN. So way off mark. <laughs> We're a few orders of magnitude behind. <laughs> yeah, and exactly. Um, the other, uh, so I'm hoping there's some really good technologies out there. We consider anyone that's in this, you know, work you know, colleagues rather than competitors, because we're all working on this together. <laughs> and uh, um, I think there's some really good ocean solutions. Um, we agree with you in our ocean solution as well. We would be, it, we would have an embodiment that would be pulling CO2 both from there and the ocean. So we think we could get a lot more efficacy and you're absolutely right about the ocean having a lot of CO2. And, you know, once we go over 1.5 degrees Celsius over pre-industrial levels, like the UN has been warning about, which we're, we just heard is going to happen by 2027, um, the reefs start dying and all that. So we need to make, you know, I'm, I'm really encouraged by some of the ocean technologies um, and we hope to be one of those as well. Okay, very good. So... You know, you, you've identified, I think, the real problem with all of these technologies is that they're still quite early stage and to scale them up to the gigaton level requires a lot of money. And so the question is, is the expensiveness of, of scaling 
uh, to industrial sizes. And I think the, the kind of the, the industry target that I've seen quoted is $100 per ton of CO2. Um, and your paper, I think, was quoting an estimate for the solar facility uh, of 702 to $1,585 per ton of CO2. So you, you've got a long ways to go. What Can you get to $100 per ton? Yeah. Okay. So I'm going to get on my soapbox just for a minute about that. Okay. Because there ain't nobody that's pulling down CO2 and sequestering it for $100. It's not happening. And if anyone says, well, okay, so there's carbon engineering. They do a good job at pulling down CO2, but they're using it for enhanced oil recovery. And so that is not a net negative process. So any any um, carbon removal um, technology has to be net negative in order to be relevant in the net in as a carbon removal technology. Otherwise, it's just carbon capture and utilization for something else. And so there is not a technology. If you look at Climeworks, which is a direct air capture technology, they're selling um, on their website, they're selling offsets for like $1,200. No one is doing it at $100. So, and I, I researched, it was just so annoying to me that everyone you know, was holding us up to a standard that no one's ever achieved. And so why is that the standard? And I looked to see where was this figure I researched, where was this figure established, this $100 a ton? Well, what that is, is if you went out on the open market to buy carbon dioxide for your Coke to make to make a soda, that's what you'd pay for carbon dioxide. That's where they got the $100 figure. It's not apples to apples. And it's frankly a stupid figure to, con- to consider because it's not based on anything out there. Not you. Or, you aren't stupid. Everyone thinks it's supposed to be $100. And so that is something that we fight all the time. It's just that there's, if you, if you hold yourself to that standard, no one would ever invest in a um, carbon removal technology. So, so wait a minute, you can actually buy carbon dioxide cylinders for a hundred dollars per ton right now. That's where I read that the, the price was based on. I didn't see it. I didn't so we should use what it. they're using, shouldn't we? Yeah. right. <laughs> Put that underground. <laughs> I mean, that, that's basically direct air capture, I think, from, you know, for welding gases or, you know, liquid oxygen and that sort of thing. Um, so I assume it's a byproduct of a, of a different uh, industrial process in that case. But I'm right. not, you know, I'm not sure exactly how it, it gets done. So I know there are, are claims. Uh, I was reading this this Elon Musk funded thing. They're saying, oh, we can do it for $100 a ton because we're in, in the water. How, how much better does your process get in the water in terms of the, the concentrated CO2 there? I wish I could answer that. I just don't have that information and I don't want to give your, your listeners anything false. I mean, we're just starting to test it in seawater and going through that whole scientific process for that. So I wish I, I just don't have it, but I think it's going to be, we think it's going to be as good or we think it's going to be better from what we, the empirical evidence we have so far would suggest that. And if I might, I'm sorry to jump in, Al, but there was something you said at the beginning and I just feel compelled and it's my fault because I think someone on our end got it wrong, but they said something about turning carbon dioxide into hydrogen. We don't do that. Um, It's not that. We do have a process for using the system that we've developed to pull down CO2, um, to pull other atmospheric gases down. And we have done that in the lab where we've pulled down other atmospheric gases that could be converted, not nitrogen specifically, that could be converted um, from ammonia to hydrogen. So yeah, that system could be used to do other other gases as well. So you have a different biological pathway for doing that? Is that 
what you're looking at for, it's a for different, the nitrogen? Yes, it's different algae. See, that's the cool thing about the system is that you just change out the algae to get something else. And so we change out the algae if we want to. We've used different kinds of algae. We've used an algae that overproduces, that was modified to overproduce cellulose, and that can be used for um, building materials or whatever. So there's there's different ways of going about it. I would check, you know, on those other technologies. I'd just I'd look at their system boundary to see exactly what they're talking about. Um, we, you know, look, our, our, our numbers will come down also once we, you know, have more um, uh, efficiencies and stuff. We, we expect those numbers to drop by about $300. So we think we're in the range, you know, but it's legit. It's measurable. It's and it's permanent. So we, I think we've got something that should be looked at. What happens to the biochar? I mean, I don't, I'm not a biochar expert. Do you know what happens to it when it's in the soil? That, so it, it just stays there and it's just, you know, physically inert effectively? Yeah. Yeah. The, I mean, it's known that the, the carbon stays in the biochar in excess of 100 years, but probably closer to thousands. But 100 is what they're kind of saying is permanent or durable sequestration. Okay. Okay. That's interesting. So you're saying, I think you said the target of this technology is for how many billion tons a year that the IPCC is asking for in their roadmaps to, to, uh, to the future of CO2 is it like a hundred billion tons a year. You said, Oh no, no, not that much. Um, it's, um, well, we're emitting through man-made processes. We're emitting 40 billion tons a year or 37 billion to 40 billion tons a year. Um, and so according to the UN, by 2030, we need to be pulling down between, and this is a big differential, but between two and 10 billion tons a year, but we're only at 4,000 and that what they're talking about is 10 billion net negative tons. Okay. Not 10 billion capturing 10 billion tons and then using that to make more oil because that just doesn't get us on a net negative. That's just net zero. Yeah, you need a, a net positive <laughs> here. Um, and I can see that, that how the cost would, would impact that. So if you're looking at, you know, 10 billion tons of CO2 at $100 a ton, that's a trillion dollars for, for the for the whole project, which is, you know, a, not a, a small bit of cash. Uh, and if you're at, you know, $500 a ton, then you're you're $5 trillion a year uh, on expenditure. So I can see why the cost is, is, is very important for, for scaling of this. And, you know, this is legit. IPCC is, is pushing for it. I know there are oil companies that are, you know, trying to uh, implement their own direct air capture of carbon dioxide. And the numbers for efficiency that I've seen published uh, for their prototypes are 3%. So, you know, the, it's basically a way to, to dry out oil and burn it faster <laughs> because 97% of the extra oil that they're pulling out to uh, capture CO2 from their current burning is not doing anything other than, you know, treading water effectively. So I can see why they're, they're going down that path. And so, you know, stuff like this is, is definitely worth investing. So investigating. So I'm, I'm, I'm happy to see this interesting approach that you're, providing for us uh it's 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 definitely something that i hadn't thought about you know uh, i don't know if it's going to catch on commercially for painting buildings or not <laughs> i think it would and i think we'll we'll come up with that paint but we want something that's just very 
divisive and we can and very measurable and all that for for uh, you know industrial situations and and just to really do most of the work. And we are gonna, uh, yes, you asked about the X Prize. The X Prize, um, the award will be. You have to prove uh, in order to win the X Prize that you've actually captured and removed um, 1,000 tons of CO2 within a year. And the prize is um, is going to be in 20 on Earth Day 2025. And I'm not really sure how the other technologies are doing. I mean, we're building our first facility that will start pulling down CO2 on a facility basis. Uh, and, um, but we plan to, you know, we're going for the prize. How is, how is your work funded? Is this, uh, is this through donations or is it a commercial, fully commercially funded or where is it coming from? Um, we are seeking funding right now. Um, so far it's been funded by us and our company. Um, so yeah, we can't carry the weight of, you know, climate change on our backs for long, but, um, but we are doing whatever we can to move the ball forward. But once we get funding, it's just going to go, you know, really fast. We've been doing, we've been in the paint business for 20 years. So we just really know how to work with paint. The paint is there and the paint is only going to get better, but already if we, if we were watching a module right now during this entire, um, podcast, then what you would see is it would have gone from about 420 um, down to uh, about 50 during this time. In a closed environment? Mm-hmm. Interesting. That's quick. That's good. Can you actually see the, the paint change color or get, you know, see? can you see the algae in there? Yeah, it gets darker as, as it grows and it actually even weighs more. So there's, there's the weight of it that can determine how much carbon is in there too. So... This is a really cool thing that you were doing. What's what's next for Beth McDaniel? Are you uh, going to be working on this for a while yet to come? Or do you have any other ideas you're working on? Yeah, you know, I mean, again, I'm I'm just uh, I feel really blessed to have had the opportunity to work in human rights. That all gets you know that all plays out in this whole thing. So that in in what we do for our children and for our grandchildren and, and everything, and so. Um, yeah, I think this is, this is where I'm going for, for now, you know, is just staying on this course. Cause we got to get this technology out there and others just like it that are going to, you know, help provide us a, a reasonable place to live. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show and, and talking to us about your, your company and your technology for spending your time and, and chatting with us. I'll, I'm going to send you a, a rational view t-shirt. Wow. Thank you. So Thank you very much, Beth McDaniel. Appreciate it. Bye-bye. If you'd like to follow up with more in-depth discussions, please come find us on Facebook at The Rational View and join our discussion group. If you like what you're hearing, please consider visiting my Patreon page at patreon.podbean.com slash The Rational View. Thanks for listening.